as I look back in the past eight years, I feel and I know that I've had three companies within that same company. And what I mean by that is at different stages of where the company is at, I've almost had to recreate the process, recreate the and hire different types of people at different stages. And in a way, I'm on that third stage right now, especially kind of as an e-commerce, also wholesale business post-COVID. I'm a new company. I'm a different company than I was two years ago. This is Found in the Rockies, a podcast about the startup ecosystem in the Rocky Mountain region, the founders, funders, and contributors, and the stories of what they're building. I'm Les Craig from Next Frontier Capital. Our guest today is Michelle Huey. Michelle is the founder of Vim and Vigor and also has another exciting new project in the works. Maybe if we're lucky, she will share a little bit about that with us today. She's here to talk with us about her startup journey, what got her started, and where things are headed. Hi, Michelle. Hi. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, excited to have you. So, to start off, why don't you tell us a, a little bit about your story and uh, and and how you ended up in one of my favorite towns in the Mountain West, Missoula, Montana. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a New York City native, born and raised. I was born in Queens. Parents immigrated to the United States in the ni- late 1960s and grew up in New York, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life and ended up going to college in Chicago and was an economics major. And um, kind of I, my initial start to working was really in corporate America. So I started off in pharmaceutical and biotech. And I predominantly focused my energy on, on kind of big data analytics before it was cool. Now everyone <laughs> wants to be in big data analytics. But like decades ago, when I started off, it was definitely not as sexy and not as cool. It was you. You were the trailblazer. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, it's so funny. I was um, messaging with some of my old bosses and I was like, we are pioneers. Like, like now everyone wants to do this. But at the time it was like, what do you do? Oh, I take a lot of data and I make sense of it. They're like, cool. Before it was like, oh, be a banker, be a consultant, be a doctor. And I was like, I'm a data analyst. So I did that. And then my partner, he's a history professor and he got, was getting his PhD at University of Chicago where I went to get my undergraduate. And um, he got a job out at University of Montana as a history professor and um, New York City to Chicago. And as a result, I'm now a Montana native. I'm someone who lives in Montana. I now can call myself a Montana resident. Amazing. What what a path. I mean, I I feel like it's uh, certainly when when you made the move, it was much less common than it is today. But what what an exciting journey. Mm -hmm. What so what when did you 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 got to Montana? what, What year? I got to Montana in 2011. And at the time, I actually took a job doing sales. So still in the pharmaceutical and biotech industry. Prior to that, I was a brand director. And because I had wanted to move to Montana, I told my boss, I was like, a a position opened up in sales in Montana. And she looked at me, she's like, you want to go back in the field as a sales rep. That's about five steps down from where you just climbed. And I said, absolutely, I want to be a sales rep and I want to live in Missoula, Montana. And so I came out here and I did pharmaceutical sales and uh, covered the state of Montana, Idaho and Wyoming. Wow. What, what, what was that? Tell us a little bit about that and, and what, what, what that kind of progression was like for your career. 
Huge. I mean, especially in in healthcare, they they call it carrying the bag. Is like it's kind of like paying your dues. It's like like just selling and hitting the road and going up to customers, and the training that's involved, especially in pharmaceutical selling, is really the highest caliber training you can possibly get. And so that in itself has prepared me so well to being an entrepreneur. Like hands down, it's just. Being relentless, being focused, and 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 just getting up every day—it's it, like the half the battle to selling is showing up because <laughs> so many other people just don't show up. You just showing up, it, you're you're winning, and so it kind of feels good. I showed up, I'm winning. So yeah, I, I took a job doing pharmaceutical sales, and during that time, I was driving all over and noticed that my legs were really tired and achy. At the end of the day, and and talk to a friend who's a physical therapist, and he says you should wear compression socks, and and this was probably 2012, 2013 at the time, and I said compression socks. I'm in my early 30s. Why would why would I wear compression socks? I, I think, think my grandmother has a pair. Totally, of those. yeah. <laughs> yeah my, my 98 year old grandmother, like it's like some weird nude. Somewhat skin tone. I mean, and so I decided to start my own company making stylish compression socks, and that's and this, kind of how it started. This was the beginning of Vim and Vigor. Yep, this is the beginning of Vim and Vigor. So I've had that company for about eight years, and for several years it was a side hustle. So I was still doing my job, still running Vim and Vigor for several years, and then finally just decided to go all in. So that's kind of my journey to entrepreneurship. You know, it's it's fascinating, Michelle. Hearing, I, I did not realize the sales aspect of your background because I, when you, when I think about your reputation as a professional, I think marketing, branding, e-commerce, like nobody better to mentor young entrepreneurs in that in those skills. Yeah. Where did that come from? Well, e-commerce is really interesting. So I was also in pharma. I was a, a brand director and a product manager. So I did. Do marketing for for new companies. I mean, these, these are billion dollar brands at this point. So I do that experience, and I feel really lucky. I also, in, in terms of getting my MBA, did focus on that as well. And so that gave me some experience in marketing. And so when people ask me, "What am I?" Like, I, I don't even know what to say. Like, I'm a marketer slash salesperson slash data analyst. So I've kind of done a lot of different things. But it's amazing because they all kind of converge. They there's just so much synergy between all of the things that I do, especially now as it relates to kind of the big data marketing sales. It's it's difficult to tease them apart.、Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. And so, what I think a lot of entre entrepreneurs probably find themselves in a similar situation. They got the side hustle. I mean, I know for 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 a little while you were also working for Submitable at I was stage, as a director of marketing. So, like. What? How did you get the conviction to go all in on the side hustle, which is now the main hustle? It's right. Yeah, it is, and it's really funny because people always assume that entrepreneurs are, you know, are really risk taking people that they take these massive risks. And I actually really disagree with that. I, I don't consider myself an extreme risk taker. I think that there are two main qualifications that make a, an entrepreneur. Number one is. They don't see risk in the same way because they're so optimistic in what they do, right? So they have an idea and they they're like, I can do this. They have that kind of conviction to do it, and be, so they don't see risk in the same way. Anyone would have seen what I was doing or what a lot of entrepreneurs are doing is like, holy cow, no way would I do that. That's too risky. But to the person doing it, they don't see risk. They don't see it. And I think the second thing is just kind of pure conviction and hard work and determination to make it happen. 
And so I think that those are kind of two components that really make an entrepreneur. And since I, I don't consider myself a risk taker, it did take time for me to figure out what worked for me and how I wanted to really engage in this journey. I don't think it's a one size fits all. I got a lot of crap from different people who are like serial entrepreneurs, like just go all in, do it. And, and, I, and I hear that side too, but you kind of just have to follow your own path and how, and, and how you want to go about it. And so over time, the business was really stable enough that I could you know, draw a salary for myself and pay and grow my team. And so that's when I felt it was ready to, to go all in. That's great advice. I mean, there's, it's not, it's, you're, you're absolutely right. It's never a one size fits all sort of prescription. It's, it's to each his or her own. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. What, what about looking back at the, at the journey and decision to launch and decision to go all in and, and throughout the whole process and evolution, what, what takeaways, or if you could do it again or do it over, like any, any thoughts or feedback on what you would do differently? I think, man, there's so many <laughs> where we start. <laughs> I think that there's a few things. It's like, I think as I look back in the past eight years, I feel and I know that I've had three companies within that same company. And what I mean by that is at different stages of where the company is at, I've almost had to recreate the process, recreate the and hire different types of people at different stages. And in a way... I'm on that third stage right now, especially kind of as an e-commerce, also a wholesale business post-COVID. I'm a new company. I'm a different company than I was two years ago. And so it's, it's one of those things that you have to be super iterative and nimble to being able to realize that and be prepared to essentially create another company over and over again within, within the same company. And so I think that that's one thing. And I'm sure you see that all the time with your portfolio companies and the companies that you work with. So I think that that's one. The second thing that kind of came from a, a mentor of mine early on when I was super excited about my business and I came to him and I was like, man, the highs are really high and the lows are really low. And he's like, yeah, you know, true. But I actually think the highs are really high, but the lows are really lonely. Hmm. And when he said that, man, like it really hit home that like when you're starting a business, it can feel extremely lonely and you can feel so excited for when things go well. And when things don't quite go well, you feel like all the pressure's on your shoulders. And so I, I think one thing I've learned is just kind of building a community of different people that can help you navigate that and, and, and make sure you have that community to, to weather any storm that you have. Yeah, it's great advice. I mean, I want to peel that back a little bit because I think especially for our listeners, for founders in the Northern Rockies, it can be an especially lonely place Absolutely. Uh, to start a company. How, what advice would you give to founders in non-traditional regions or startup ecosystems in terms of practices or best ways to build that network? Yeah, that's a great, really great question. The practices I've have developed have happened over time, just through different exposure. I think that depending on your industry you're in, there's different kind of forums that you can be part of. Like, for example, I'm part of this form called e-commerce fuel, right? And it's people doing kind of similar things that I'm doing, but kind of like throughout the country and throughout the world. And I'm able to tap into that resource. Actually, the guy who- Is that Andrew Udarian? 
Andrew Durian. Yeah, yes. I know him. E-commerce yeah. fuel is Andrew spends part of his time in Bozeman, and he's now spends the rest of his time. I think Arizona. in Tucson. Yes, yeah, Arizona. yeah, exactly. But like that's a that's a forum that I recently joined. I would say probably wow. a year year and a half, two years ago. And man, that has really helped me. If you're someone who does anything e-commerce related, highly recommend e-commerce fuel. It's it saved me. Tons of time and tons of money. Okay, enough of a plug for Andrew's uh, <laughs> But and so it so is I great, think though. It is great. And so there's a lot of different forums like that. You just have to kind of look for those opportunities to connect and they have conferences. And so you are building that network of people. I'm always somebody who too, who I, I, I kind of try to do my best job paying it forward. So if somebody has an idea or wants to start any type of brand or physical product business, I try to meet with them because I get a lot of ideas from different people in different stages of their business. And so I think that that you just have to put yourself out there, look for those opportunities and make the effort of, of reaching out. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned this uh, mentor earlier uh, in our conversation, and I'm just curious, has there been anyone else in particular in your life that's been sort of a source of motivation or or push for you or drive for you when things have gotten gotten lonely or gotten difficult? Yeah, that's a great question. For me, I would have to say my mother. My mother is no longer alive. She passed away when I was 15. But she had so much passion and she was an entrepreneur. She had such an entrepreneurial spirit. So my parents immigrated here in the late 60s. My mom was a seamstress in the garment district of New York City. My dad was a waiter. So super, super meager uh, means. And my mom, though, wanted just like a better life. Like she was a striver. She was a hustler. So while she, during the day, she would work in the garment at a factory. At night, she would make ice cream cakes that my parents owned an ice cream, a Carvel ice cream store in New York. She would make cakes. And during the weekends, she actually opened up a hair salon in Chinatown, New York. And it was in the basement of a tenement building that was super, super tiny. There were some rats on occasion. Like, it's just the way New York City, <laughs> like, it's just the way yeah, Chinatown, New York City is, yeah. right? But it's fine. It's fine. I grew up in this basement space. And it was, it was like kind of the social center and social network of newly emigrated women in the Chinatown community would come play mahjong, which is, I don't know if mahjong, but that tiles, tiles. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, the yeah. tiles. So they would play mahjong. They would get their hair, hair permed. They would chain smoke. I mean, it was <laughs> magic. I mean, like wow. all, like just so many memories of cigarette smoke slash perm solution slash laughter, <laughs> like all in one. And she Michelle, I that. feel like I'm there right now. Right. right? Like, can't you imagine <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it? Right. Like I, I'm trying, it's a visceral yeah, thing. It's a very visceral yeah. thing. So like having seen her do that and really live out her dream, like this is why she came to the United States. This is like her, her mission in life. And, and so like when I see that and just having that experience growing up, it's like, man, anything's possible. So I would, I, I think about that moment more often than anything else as, as a main driver for me kind of moving forward. Thank you so much for sharing. I mean, what a great story. And you know what? Now I understand where you get it from. I, I guess so. <laughs> there I mean, it is. There it is. Yeah. The hustle. Yeah. The a hustle. hustle. It is definitely a hustle. Awesome. 
Well, I want to shift gears here in a second, but before we do, I'd love to hear what's what's next for Vim and Vigor. Where are you going in the next decades? That's a, that's a great question. Like I said, it's evolved several times in the past eight years. Pre-COVID, we had about 65% of our revenue come from brick and mortar stores. So they came from wholesale and 35% came from e-commerce. And post-COVID, it's more like 75, 80% e-commerce. 25% wholesale. And so with that, what's nice about it is we were able to survive COVID, especially with so many stores closing. And that has actually given us an opportunity to kind of double down and connect more with our community and our customer base. And so that's an area that we're really, really focused in on, really going back to our community. And so we've done a few things in terms of giving back and tying our product and our mission aligned to our business. And that's been really fun. Great. Well, that's exciting. We'll be excited to watch and and, and continue to see where, where you take it. Yeah. But now I want to shift gears, like I said, a little bit. The rumor on, <laughs> on Main Street, Montana, is that you're working on something new called ShopDot. Yeah. Can you share yeah, with our I'll listeners anything yeah, exciting? The okay. development phases. So ShopDot came out of actually my experience with COVID. Not me personally with the condition, but with me in business and COVID. But over the past 18 months in my interaction with retailers, so many of my retailers struggled with really building and growing their online store. And that was this was have been happening for 10, 15 years. It's just something that wasn't it didn't need to happen. And COVID showed that it really needed to happen for so many retailers in order for them to really survive COVID, but also this massive shift from a commerce and retail standpoint. And when you look at during COVID, who was really successful during that time, you saw Amazon, Walmart, eBay, Target, these big marketplaces and retailers. And when you boil down to why they were successful, they were successful because of their logistics, of their operations, and their supply chain directly linked to brand suppliers. That was one of the main reasons why they were successful. They were able to tap into products quickly. They were able to tap into product assortments quickly, as well as inventory reserves by partnering directly with brand suppliers. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, how can I bring something like this to the small to medium-sized independent retailer? And so that's really the birth of ShopDot. So ShopDot is a platform that really helps facilitate the movement of product listing content between the brand supplier and the retailer, and also the movement of of physical goods from the brand supplier to the retailers and customer. And so it, it really creates this kind of ecosystem between brand supplier and retailer where it helps the brand supplier to grow their digital reach through the retailer, but also helps the retailer grow their product assortment without operational hassle or inventory risk. So that's in in a nutshell. Brilliant vision. Has anyone tried to do something similar or adjacent? I mean, I, I feel like there's... I've seen some places trying to do this, but it's all about execution. Mm. And not trivial, not a trivial problem. So it is, it is hard. And so many people try to do this actually without experience from brand. Like they have no experience as a brand. They have no Mm -hmm. experience as a retailer. 
And I think kind of where I'm coming in is I understand the plight of brands. I have a brand myself. I right. know exactly the ins and outs, the infrastructure, the technology, the processes. And then also from the retailer side, I have thousands of retailers that I've talked to on a fairly regular basis who buy Vim and Vigor. And so having that experience and know exactly the systems and processes, I think I'm taking that information and knowledge and trying to create a really beautiful, elegant um, tool to help solve this, this major problem in, in the retail space. Excellent. And, and, and to me, it's also, I think about the overlapping Venn diagrams here to have that perspective and experience, but then also be able to think through the complexity of building a solution. Exactly. I mean, how many people are in both those bubbles? I think there's one. Right. Yeah. And we're, yeah. we're sticking to her right now. Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so, yeah, I think that for me, I even, even this week, I've been product testing my platform on just kind of showing brands, showing retailers, getting as much feedback as possible. And so it's, it's being built right now and hope to launch it at some point in the future. Exciting. Um, what are, what I, are they I, saying? I mean, you're in the midst of testing. Super, what are they, what are they super, telling you? Super excited. Super excited. Yeah. Um, yeah. I went to um, a trade show actually to test my, essentially my value prop. And so I talked to about like just sales. This is sales 101. I went to a trade show. I had a brochure. And I just went up to, to Brand Supply. And it's weird because this is a trade show in which I used to exhibit. So I, I know the space. And I just talked to them and saying, here's a problem that I see. Here's a solution. Thoughts. And then I just let people talk. And yeah. man, the things you can find out just by listening to what people's everyday problems are, pretty significant. It's, it's such a great, I mean, just roadmap for how to build product the right way. Right. I mean, well, what you're doing. Devil's yeah. in the details. I hope so. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I'm not overpromising anything. <laughs> what, what, what do you think the greatest challenge is that you'll kind of face over the next six to 12 months with, with ShopDot? What, what do you, what's keeping um, you up at night? Again, making sh pure execution. Mm -hmm. I, I feel, I feel there's product market fit. I've, I've tested it, at least qualitatively. And it's just about making sure that it, everything works as I mm -hmm. say it's going to work. And so that's where most of my time is going to be spent because I, I see this. There's so many different platforms out there right now for, for brand suppliers and for retailers. They're not going to want to use something and not have a great experience. They don't want to dig around here. Like, and so the key is to just deliver something that really works for them. And then, and then obviously iterate from there, but at least have my MVP be highly functional. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I mean, best, best of luck to you on that journey. It sounds Thank super you. exciting. Yeah. What, what are you thinking about in terms of, I mean, obviously you're bootstrapping right now. You're yep. scrappy. Mm -hmm. What, what do you think the, the future holds in terms of a path? Are you considering a fundraise? Or are you going to try to bootstrap it all the way? Yeah. It's really funny because I ask many people their advice and I, I, I ask a lot of VC <laughs> friends that I know too. And I get so many different responses. I'm sure when we have a private conversation, <laughs> you and I, there's going to be a million different responses for that. I, I think as of right now, my plan is to build through beta testing and MVP and on, on my own and then, and then do a raise as of right now. And I'm giving myself the liberty to change my mind. You can do that. That's, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like that. I like that. Well, it's similar to your advice. I mean, earlier on, on, on the episode when you said it's, it's about what's best for you as a founder, right? And, yeah. And the best fit for you, both in- exactly 
strategy and rollout and growth. I mean, so yep. I, I think that's great perspective, Michelle. Awesome. Well, I'd like to transition, if, if we may, to our rapid fire questions that we ask all our founders, if you're ready. Mm-hmm, I'm ready. Sound good? All right. Yep. First question, what are you looking forward to in the next 30 days? It could be personal or professional. Next 30 days, I'm looking forward to going back to New York City to see my family. That's That's been hard. I haven't been able to see them as much as I'd like. And so with everything going on, so that's probably what I'm looking forward to most. New York and I do miss a city. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a city girl. I live in Missoula. Yeah. I love it. I love living here, but I definitely need my dose. Good for you. When, when New York is so beautiful in the fall. Oh, so. I love it. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. If your company shut down for a week, or I guess we well, have two companies, but you yeah. know, if, if, both, if both companies shut down for a week and you could do anything with your time, mm-hmm. but we're not allowed to work, how would you spend that week? I would binge watch Netflix. I, I mean, like I, there's all these shows <laughs> that everyone says is so, they're so good, like Shits Creek, like all these things. I'm like, I have like an ongoing list of things I need to watch. I would do that. I mean, I'm, I'm a kid of like the eighties and nineties. I'm a latchkey kid. It's kind of mm-hmm. like figure out for yourself and put the television on, like, like, you know, get out of my face. Like I'm that type of kid, like growing up. And so like, I haven't got to engage on all this amazing television. This, I know that's this new really, stuff. I, I know this seems really vapid and like, like really surface, but I, I'm really excited about that. Well, you, you, I love, I love the answer, but you totally ruined my next question. I think I know what I'm going to get on this one, but is there anything binge worthy in your life right now? Okay. Binge worthy. I have probably rewatched Sopranos so many times during COVID. And I know you may think this is somewhat sick, but it's a great way if you want to know how to run a business. I mean, like, like, no, I'm serious. No judgment. Like, no judgment. Like, Tony yeah. Soprano, man, he's, his leadership style is, is unmatched. I, I, I couldn't agree more with you. And that, what a fascinating, it'd be such a funny like blog topic, like business blog where you take like an episode or a quote from an ep- oh from the Sopranos, and then that's the title, and then you write a blog about the business. I don't know. We can well, I you can, and I can. Uh, this is a really <laughs> good idea. Okay, we should brainstorm of like TV shows and leaders. Like you can do like Walter White from whatever that Breaking Bad, um, yeah. Don Draper from Mad Men, Tony Soprano, and yeah. like talk about oh, their yeah. different leadership styles. I'm like, this is a book in the making. Like this is good. Yeah. All right, we'll we'll follow this up with a, a whole season of this. I yeah, think, or maybe, so or something. Um, that's what I've been doing. I've been I've been rewatching awesome. Sopranos. That's great. Who is someone in your life right now that you really look up to? In my life right now, God, there's so many people. I don't even know where to start. I would have to say. I really look up to my my life partner. Yeah, my life partner who I who I've been with for a long time. He's the one who came up here. He's a professor at the University of Montana and he's an amazing professor. Like the dedication that he puts towards his students and what he does. Like he wakes up happy every day to educate his students. And there's something like really pure and exciting to see that excitement or when 
he sees a breakthrough with a student. He just, it really makes his day. And I, and I really look up to that. That's, that's really special. Thank you for sharing that. What is a current challenge you're facing in, in, in your life, personal, professional? I think kind of wanting to do it all and not having enough time. Yeah. I, I want to do everything and it's just having to prioritize. And that's really can be really hard when you're excited about so many things. Yeah, for sure. The one thing we all have the same amount of is time, right? In a day, in a I day. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Yeah. yeah. Energy uh, is finite. It sure is. And the older you get, so much so. Speaking of energy, what motivates you to keep you going on days when, when what you're doing just seems like an uphill battle or, or impossible? I think a, f- a few things. One thing is my team, for sure, at Vim and Vigor. I have an amazing team who are, they're just so passionate about what they do and, and how they engage with our community and customers and all that. And that's very motivating. Days in which for ShopDot, I'm engaging with potential customers and, and how they could potentially use this and grow their business and be successful. That's really motivating. So it's just, it's people. It's people when it's really what motivates me. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, and lastly, what's a piece of advice that you often give, but find it hard to follow? We save the hard ones for last. Yeah. Probably, probably you don't have to do it all. I always like, you don't have to do it all. And I'm like doing it all. And You're like, doing it all. Yeah. And barely making it by and struggling. I think that that's, that's one thing. Yeah, probably that. I'm sure there's more that would come to mind. But yeah, you don't have to do it all. But you do. You don't. But you, you don't. Do, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, Michelle. Well, let me just say again, thank you so much for being on the show today. I mean, what a fun, special episode to share together. And could you please tell our audience where they can find you online? For sure. So for Vim and Vigor, they can find me on www.vimvigor.com or they can go on shop.app, which is www.shop.app.com. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Found in the Rockies. You can find links in the show notes or go to our podcast page at nextfrontiercapital.com to get links and contact information for today's guests. If you like what you heard and want more, please rate, review, and subscribe to get notified as our new episodes drop. We'll see you next time.